Hi everybody, not exactly the result that we were looking for, definitely not the podcast that we were hoping to record, but it is the end of season podcast. We're going to do it as a bit of a mailbag, going to try and ignore the game for as much as possible for the uh, for the time that we've got together today. You're listening to the Believe in Brits podcast. Go! Gonna get him, and he knocks the ball. It's away. caught by Donovan Peoples Jones. Touchdown! He got it. He got Chubb. He's to the 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown! Wow, what a struggle. The way it should be, I guess. Brownies, here we go. Yep, so welcome everyone in. For those of you who are listening live, welcome. Please do drop your, your comments and your questions as we uh, go through today. We're going to do a bit of a mailbag. We've got quite a lot of questions already on the docket, but we'll try and get around to as many as we can. We'll also touch upon, obviously, Saturday's game against the uh, Texans, the 35-14. No, was it 35-14? 45. Sorry, 45-14. Well, sounds a hell of a lot worse when I say that now. Um, then sort of looking at the, you know, the playoffs as a whole, and then we'll get on to some of the news of which we've had over the last few hours in a few coaching changes expected in Cleveland, um, after a few dismissals this morning and into a bit of, uh, a bit of future forecasting. That's at least the way in which the questions here have gotten, uh, full house for the first time this year. Uh, I'm back from a trip in New York. Uh, Wine and Sean are both here. Sean, thank you for uh, for covering for us both last week with the uh, with the one postseason preview pod that we were able to actually have uh, as a podcast. Uh, thank you to you and also to Kelly Taylor as well for uh, jumping in and being a hero there. Sean, how are you, buddy? And also, are you are you recovered from the heartache of Saturday night? Yeah, I am, mate. It was um, it was a strange feeling Sunday morning. To be honest, I think there was a bit of pride, a bit of disappointment, obviously, a bit of frustration, a bit of anger. I think there was quite a lot sort of thrown in there. But yeah, I mean, you know, we've had a few days to reflect on it, there, aren't we? So, yeah, all good, mate. Um, season never stops, does it? Into off season mode now, and plenty of questions and uh, plenty to hopefully look forward to. So yeah, looking forward to having a, a good chat about it all, mate. Yeah, nice to get all just sort of move on to the next thing. On on to next on to next year, as they say. Um Awine, you were you were watching it whilst in your car on Saturday night. I mean, same question to you. Uh, uh, have you got over it as well? Or is there was there a bit of a lingering a lingering what if to it? Yeah, to be honest, like it didn't affect me maybe as much as what it affected obviously a lot of other people. Not that I wasn't passionate about the game, but you know, I think we'd said a few weeks before the playoffs that if they didn't make the playoffs, given what went on, they gave us a hell of a fun season. So it was almost for me like whatever happened, happened and just amazing that they got there in the first place and, and anything else was just a bonus on top of it. Obviously it was horrible to lose in the fashion that they did and the manner that they did but 
just to be in that game in the first place, I thought was a phenomenal achievement. So um, she took it on the chin and obviously having, you know, seen them lose to an outstanding young quarterback, you know, I think even though we were on the, on the wrong side of a, a phenomenal performance, I think it was, you know, if you, if you enjoy watching the NFL, it was amazing to see how good CJ Stroud was on his first playoff start as well. So yeah, it, it didn't take long for me to get over it. And like you say, hopefully get healthy now and, and on to next year we go. Yeah, for me, for me, it was a weird one as well. Um, mainly just because it wasn't a standard watching experience. I ended up um, just, you know, sitting at my gate. There's all the screens were showing the NFL, uh, which was really odd. Like the entire airport was just showing NFL and I'm watching it on this tiny little screen. And I only was able to start watching from half time. So we we're already 24, 14 down. And I'm there thinking if we can get one, then we can get back into it. And obviously that was when the, the pick sixes occurred. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, I'm going to shake check. So, uh, you know, it didn't feel quite real until seeing the scoreline in the, in the chiefs dolphins game and going, Oh no, actually that happened. So yeah, processing it has been different uh, for sure. I think that the rest of the games definitely helped. Seeing the Steelers get whacked was definitely uh, was was definitely cathartic to be able to put it behind us. I think uh, the Bucks beating the Eagles as well, the the Packers smashing the Cowboys. I'd actually say that despite the scoreline being the worst in the Browns game, I actually think that the Packers and the Bucks delivered heavier blows in their games to ours. Ours was quite close until Flacco threw those pick sixes. Um, you know, We'll get on to it now, but I actually think that those were uh, were more brutal to try and get over than ours. Um, so, you know, we'll go straight into the questions which you got here and we'll start off with, you know, the playoffs and, and the game on Saturday. What do you think went wrong? Like, what was the key thing for you that went wrong on Saturday? There was a few things, but what, what would you say is like the number one thing? Or why do you want to kick off on that? Yeah, I'd say... You know, it was fairly obvious. It was the defense. You know, the the recipe to success all season was that we had a stout defense and we were able to do just enough offensively for the most part. Um, and to put Flacco in a situation where he had to compete in the shootout was always going to be dangerous. Considering you look back at the games that he's played for us, and even you know the games that Watson and and the other QBs have played for us, it's always been. You know, we've won despite giving the ball away two, three, sometimes even four times. Um, and that was just never going to be sustainable in a shootout. So the defence allowing so many yards, so many points and, you know, so quickly as well. That was something that maybe that we didn't expect was, you know, the points came on you know, one, two play drives. It wasn't as if they matriculated their way down the field and and we could keep it in a close game because their time of possession was long. They were, you know, obviously biting off huge, huge chunk plays and and huge touchdowns. And that's obviously for me what went wrong. Obviously you can you can point blame at at the offense as well because they've made some critical errors at times there. But um for me, yeah, any game that we were having to compete in a shootout in in the um in the playoffs was going to be a game where we were going to struggle to win it. 
yeah sean would you would you agree with that that it was mainly the the defensive side of the ball i mean I, I look at it as it was a handful of plays more than anything else i might have the wrong end of the stick because i'm looking at the game in 40 for the first half where most of the most of the defensive points were given up um but um you know it it, it has to be said that that there were plays made there that they just weren't giving up in the regular season outside of maybe one or two games. Yeah, it was, it was certainly, you know, like you said, the defense didn't turn up to it. outside of JOK who flashed several times. Um, the rest of them just didn't turn up. Unfortunately, I think he was to summarize. I'd say it was probably lost in the trenches on both sides of the ball. If you think back to the Christmas Eve game, um, you know, when me and Kelly talked about this on the podcast, the, before the game, the Browns dominated that one on both sides of the ball on Christmas Eve. You know, they were able to get to Case Keenum, who was playing quarterback at the time, and they were able to keep Flacco clean. Both of those things were the complete reverse on Saturday. You know, the the defense I think managed one pressure in the entire game, which just isn't going to get it done at this stage of the season. And obviously, Flacco seemingly was running around for his life, particularly when the score got out of hand. And the Texans knew they could just pin their ears back and, and you know, four guns blazing. Um, you know, so it, it was a really disappointing end. You know, as you said, at 24 14, you kind of think we've been here this season. The Browns have dug themselves out of holes and they got a stop in the, you know, the first sort of Texans offensive possession of the second half, driving obviously into field goal range. And you're thinking, right, okay, we're back to within a score, hopefully, here. You know, hopefully it's within, within three if we could obviously punch it in the end zone. But before you know it, you are then 24 points behind on the scoreboard. And let's be honest, we were all yeah. debating, certainly on this side of the pond, mate, whether we should just go to bed, to be honest, because... <laughs> yeah, that's was, fair, because it, it would have been about half 11, wouldn't it, yeah? Yeah, and it was just game over at that stage. So, you know, just really, really, really disappointing. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about some of the coaching and some of the things that we need to do in terms of next season. So I don't want to go into it in too much depth at this stage. But, you know, I think there were... There were signs that this Browns defence were being found out towards the back end of the year yeah. and the Texans just did everything that the Browns have struggled against for the last month or so. Um, you know, nothing was really a big surprise. It wasn't therefore necessarily a big surprise that we didn't deal with it very well. Um, and I think ultimately, yes, and I don't want to take away from how good the defence has been on the whole, but I do think the last sort of month to six weeks of the season... There have been signs that there are ways to get at this Browns defence um, and the Texans exploited it massively on Saturday and unfair play to them. Um, you know, it's a shame it ended the way that it did, but yeah, like you say, just one of those days. I think Stefanski said himself, didn't he? Picked a bad day to have a bad day. Yeah, picked a bad day to have a bad day and also the Texans you know, were pretty much flawless in the execution. It's something which you saw a lot of in uh, the press conferences from both the Texans and the Browns pl players and coaches. You know, it was about execution. CJ Stroud executed it perfectly. The Texans' D-line was perfect. So their O-line was pretty damn good as well to provide that protection. The, the getting the ball away quickly, which is the way to get around this defense seemingly. Um, you know, try to get crossing plays and to use those quickly is seemingly the way around this defense. They they knew that early. They hit it early. 
Um, and then just looking at the individual errors, the one of which kills me is um, not necessarily the Newsom ones either. And I know that he's been chirping a little bit this week. Um, but the uh, Martin Emerson one is the one that really, really gets at me. You know, how many times have we sunk his praises this season? And then it's, it's as if he doesn't realize that the guy with the ball is running straight past him. <laughs> And he just sort of saunters towards the sideline, and you just wonder if that's a, just a mental error. And you're thinking, yeah. just not the time to do it. Like you know, yeah. pick 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 any other week. Pick last week. Pick pick Denver. Pick pick Los Angeles. Pick wherever. Just not here. Not now. Yeah, it's like you say, man. That's the difference between a twenty-yard gain and a and a seventy-five-yard touchdown, isn't it? You know, it would have still been yeah. a, a chunk play, but you you, know, you live with that. You fight another day and. Um, and it just exactly. killed all the momentum, we, didn't we it? Because we, we never... like to keep it within a field goal. Yeah, it just killed all the momentum, didn't it? Because we just got took, retook the lead, and then one player later, we're back behind again. It was just, yeah, just like so. But when I saw the question come through, what went wrong on Saturday? I thought, Jesus, that could be an hour's podcast just uh, just from <laughs> that first question, man. Yeah, well, we'll draw a line there. Um, we, we're 13 minutes in. We'll draw the line there because let's let's not go any further on that. Let's instead look a bit more broad. This could be a yes, no. This could be, you know, just, just looking at, as to why as well. Would you class this as a successful season? I think you have to, certainly given the circumstances. Um, I think at the start of the season, many of us sort of went sort of 11-6, 12-5, that kind of range in terms of, win-loss record um, and that's where they ended up but they also ended up there with a huge amount of asterisks along the way so from that point of view I think you have to look at it as successful overall um, you know we're still not used to regularly competing in the postseason it's the second time you know in recent memory but it's not something that the Browns are all too familiar with um, yeah. you know so ultimately Yes, you'd like to go further. I suppose ultimately you'll have people that say, well, until you start winning championships and until you start, you know, getting to the Super Bowl or even lifting the Super Bowl, it, it, it's either successful or it's not. But I think in context, for me, you know, a reasonably good and certainly a successful season given the hand that they were dealt throughout the campaign. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. Yeah, Any yeah, that? Agree. Anyone saying that this isn't a successful season given you know, what occurred throughout the season is probably being unrealistic. I think we've said it many times on the podcast throughout the year that, you know, expectations may have been too high at times, um, given what went on. You know, losing to Sean Watson in week whatever it was, but it was, it was quite early, that should have been season done. I don't, I, in my opinion, we shouldn't have even made... We had no right to make a playoff from there. You know, starting a guy yeah. who ultimately... You know, didn't play well for the Jets last year. He was on the, he was on, you know, he was on a couch for a reason. Everyone was saying, you know, how good this guy was, but he was on the couch for a reason because he didn't play well in his last, you know, two stops, even going back further than the, just the Jets. So, um, I don't think we had any right to even make the playoffs in the first place. When, when you look at going down to QB four in the end, and you know, for me, it was a very, very successful season because, again, like Sean said. We're not used to being in this position. So what it does do, you know, like the Steelers and the Ravens in our division and even the Bengals to a certain extent over the last couple of years, it, it breeds confidence. 
it breeds confidence, it adds culture. Um, and, you know, when they come back in next year, it won't be, oh, can we just sneak into the playoffs this year? It'll be, okay, we have to go for the division this year. We have to then have, you know, a better postseason run than what we had this year, what we had in, in 2020. So I think it was a hugely successful year and, and, and a year they, they can build off quite comfortably. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like 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 you've both said, and Sean, I think you, you put it quite well in terms of asterisks. You know, you, you carry those into the summer in knowing that those are things that are going to be in your favour when you come back in. Um, we're going to be one of the few anomalies, I think, in terms of the one-score games theory. So like the Vikings last year, you know, they won, what was it, 11 one-score games last season? And people were saying, well, that's a curse to potentially go in the other way. We've won, I think it's like six or seven uh, in a similar situation. But it's because of the fact we've had to fight tooth and nail over the hurdles that have been put in front of us that shouldn't happen next year if you go by the general rule of thumb on um, you know injury luck and all the rest of it so yeah definitely definitely a successful one as well as well i would say and it's also a reason as to why i think that all of us aren't feeling overcome with like sadness at the way that this playoff run ended quickly you know a conversation which we all had pretty much this you know that saturday night if not sunday was around the fact of just, you know, being thankful for actually getting here, so for winning 11 games, for being in a situation where you didn't have to worry about Week 18, for when you're in the middle of December and you're still talking about potentially getting the number one seed in the AFC with your fourth quarterback and you're contemplating hiring a fifth quarterback just so you can sit out. You know, like, what are we doing? And it was one of those weird fairy tale sort of seasons. So, you know, it's weird for the Browns to have that sort of thing because you just don't, we're not accustomed to that. I don't think the league's necessarily accustomed to it happening on such a large scale. There was a number of records broken. Um, Kevin Stefanski is in line to be coach of the year. Miles Garrett is in line to be defensive player of the year, you know, from a, if you start looking at the positives, there are a lot to take there. So, you know, for anyone listening who's feeling rather dejected, looking at burning all of their Browns gear, um, you know, this, that, and the other, don't do that or give it to us. We're always looking for competition prizes. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot to look forward to. It's just got to wait until September. So, you know, yeah, mo moving on, I think, because, you know, we can only be so positive, I suppose, and there's a lot to get through here. Um, one that's come through from Twitter in the main and social media in the main, right? Now, Baker Mayfield, obviously, beating the Eagles the other night comfortably. It was one of his better games. Um, obviously, he's done something which doesn't really happen with the Bucks, which is uh, 300 yards and three touchdown passes in a playoff game. So the only other quarterback to do that is Tom Brady. Um, you know, he, uh, we hear things such as, you know, Baker's probably the most settled he's ever been. The Bucks are dreaming of pastures new now that, they're, um, now, now that they've beaten the Eagles. They're on to the Lions. Um, you know, 
a lot of fans are now pointing at comparisons between the Baker trade, you know, the Baker and Watson trade, looking at both sides and thinking, you know, win loss. I'm not even going to ask you as to whether as to how you fall down on that in particular in terms of comparison, just more of a case of it's impossible to to compare the two, right? We're talking apples and oranges. One, for the fact that we've barely seen Watson play. Two, Mayfield's playing in the NFC South, of which he only beat the Carolina Panthers 9-0 last week. So, you know, have to take that into consideration. Um, you know, and the AFC North seems to be the toughest nut to crack. Watson went five and one. You can talk about the morality and all, and we do quite a bit in terms of the morality of the trade and all the rest of it. But am I right in thinking that we're just generally on the train of just being happy for the bloke, the fact that he's settled down in a place and we should just shut up about it as a fan base? I don't really care if we don't shut up about it as a fan base because, like it or not, like we're all always going to be connected to Baker Mayfield. Like we're the ones that drafted him, we're the ones that traded him away. Um, so we're all always going to talk about Baker Mayfield. We're always going to look at how he's going to do in his future career and always wonder what might have been. But in reality, like whether it was Watson or not. It was done last season. It was just done. Like the comments that were coming out on a weekly basis, um, the way the season went, even the fan base were booing him um, towards the end of the season really regularly. So as much as we can sort of say, oh, he was injured and next season might have been different, like you, you could also look at it in a way that, you know, next season may have started horribly. He might have started getting booed every week and then we're having to cut him while paying for his whole fifth year option and, and stuff of that nature. So yeah. it's revisionist history, um, whatever you, way you want to look at it. But um, on a personal level, I wanted to see him succeed when he left us. I think mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was going to hurt yeah. a little bit more than what it did, to be quite honest with you. I thought watching him succeed elsewhere would hurt, um, but it, it really hasn't. And I think, you know, I've enjoyed watching them this season, the Bucks, when, whenever I have turned them on. Um, obviously, I had them to win the division. You know, I felt pre- pretty comfortable about taking them to win that division at the start of the season. And like you said, due to the fact that that division's horrible and and Baker is good. Like, he's, he's a good, not great quarterback, in my view. Yeah. That's always what he was. That's always what he will be. Um, and ultimately, we made the decision that that wasn't good enough for us. Um, that's why we made yeah. the decision. But that's as far as it goes for me um, in terms of comparing. Yeah, basically, what... there's no need to drag anything through the mud now. Just enjoy what's happening. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I wish him all the best. I'd love to see him go and lift the Super Bowl, um, lift the Lombardi. I don't think I can deal with that from Loom. I keep telling yeah, you I that think... I would happily see the Bucks win a Super Bowl again. But I think honestly, that might hurt. hurt. That seeing Baker lift the Lombardi might hurt. To be honest, that's with you, probably I would that's have... probably when I start hollering about it. I'd like to see it, but at the same time, like brown social media would be absolutely insufferable oh, for a long. Be hell, I'd have to turn it all off. Yeah. Um. So in yeah. in that sense, like it would, 
it wouldn't be the best thing in the world. But like I said, I've got if no it was worse, the Ravens winning it or make Baker Mayfield winning it from a I'd, Browns perspective. Prefer Baker to win it than the Ravens. 100%. No, no, from a Browns Twitter perspective. Oh, um, I think it would be pretty close. I genuinely do think it'd be pretty close. I think a lot of people would rather the Ravens win it, to be honest. Probably, probably. Believing it. Sean, you got anything to add add to this one? Not really, mate. I think if you take the morality out of it, I don't think it's as much of a... No, I just think if you take the morality out of it, I don't think it's as much of an issue. I think it's an easy target for people to throw that are always going to be on on that side of the the argument. Look, he went nine and eight this year. Nine and eight doesn't get you in the playoffs in the AFC North. He didn't win the starting job in Carolina last year. He didn't win a backup job in LA last year. I've got nothing against the bloke. I don't really care less whether he wins or loses. I'm gonna be honest. I'm, I just think it's a bit of a, a diversion from the fact that there's more question marks about our own quarterback situation. So, yeah, good luck to him. But I'm not really bothered one way or another. If I'm being completely honest. Sean could be predictable sometimes. I even had in my own notes, don't ask Sean first. <laughs> uh, something that I will ask you first, though, Sean. Who are you backing for the Super Bowl now? Now that you know what the uh, divisional round looks like, who are you back? Uh, give me your Super Bowl matchup and your winner. Uh, I'm still sticking with 49ers. I went for 49ers pre-season. Nothing's really changed my mind since. I know they obviously lost the the big game on, was it? was it? Was it Christmas Day, the game with the Ravens, I want to say? Or was it Thanksgiving? I it was one of the big holidays. Was, yeah. Can't remember which yeah, one yeah. of the two it was. Christmas, but, uh, Christmas night, wasn't it? Yeah, but I, I still think the 49 is the most complete team. I think in terms of on the AFC side of things, I still can't see past the Chiefs. I don't know why. They just mm-hmm. seem to get it right at this stage of the season. Um They did look impressive against the Dolphins. I don't don't know if you've watched the game against the Dolphins, but they did look very complete then. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for me, I think it's it's a rematch of what, two years ago? Um, And I'll I'll take the 49ers. Owen? I don't know. It's a a tough one for me. I think the Ravens are obviously in with a great shout. Um, I don't know. My outsider would be the Packers. Oof, to go all the way. Yeah, I just think that they... Jordan Love looked really, really good the other day. They've got a bunch of exciting wide receivers that can do damage against teams. And I don't know, there was something in that 49ers game when they played us where I sort of just thought, are these mentally tough enough to go all the way? You obviously saw the big scrap before the game and then how that game ends Mm. up turning out. I just think... Them against the Packers, will the Packers just, you know, out-physical them? Um, and I just think, I think the Ravens will go all the way to the to the Super Bowl. But there's just something about them that I just don't think that they're going to go all the way and win it. And that maybe that's just me hoping. Um, but yeah, that that's my pick. I'll go Packers just to be different. So this is potentially left field here. Um, I've gone for two teams that neither of you two have mentioned yet. Um, Buffalo Bills from the AFC side. I feel like they are riding a wave of, you know, they're, they're riding a real wave at the moment. Only the Ravens are riding a similar wave in terms of momentum. 
Um, I could see the Bills beating the Chiefs in um, Highmark or Orchard Park, whatever they call it. Um, I, I can see that happening as a bit of a revenge game there that's got that story mark all over it. And then I can see them taking that momentum to Baltimore and doing them. Uh, and then the Detroit Lions on the NFC side. I quite like that story there. They look the real deal. I reckon that Tampa's ride will end in Detroit. And then Lions versus 49ers, that's a tasty championship game. That's probably a coin flip. Um, and then Bills to do the Lions by like a couple of points. I reckon that's going to be one of those Super Bowls for the ages if that happens. It's just a shame that it can't happen in Cleveland uh, and have a proper Lake Erie Super Bowl. Um, instead, both Lake Erie teams will have to go to Vegas. But um, yeah, quite quite diverse uh, thoughts there. I think that shows just how you know just how competitive the top actually is as well. Because I think that all of us have kind of been slowly nodding towards each other's answers in a way of going, yeah, I could easily see that happen. So, um, yeah, quite a, quite a good diverse range of uh, different ideas there. Uh, bringing it back to bringing it back to us again, um, just to sort of round out 2023 season-wise, what has been your best moment of the season for the Browns and what has been your worst moment of the season for the Browns? <laughs> and it'll be beating the ravens um just the way that it happened everything surrounding it um you know it's hard to hard to choose any other moment than that for me yeah and and agreed there sean what was your what, what was your best moment was that was that yours as well because that was definitely mine yeah, I think that, that was the best moment. It was a real bittersweet one, wasn't it? Because I think we all sort of came bouncing onto that podcast on the Monday afternoon thinking, yes, it's all going to start clicking and here we go. And Deshaun's actually fit. And then obviously we got the news the day later. And he was done. <laughs> we got the news that actually, hell no, he's not. Yeah, but yeah, certainly that game, it just felt like that was the game that things were starting to, to click and starting to come together. Um, and it was a real statement win, wasn't it? So yeah, I think that was probably the best individual um game um obviously nice clinching the playoffs on the thursday night as well nice to see flacco yeah. um throwing the ball around all over the yard um but yeah probably yeah. as an individual game i'll take that uh, that baltimore one away my my yeah, worst one was that that same week and it was deshaun the news the tweet that deshaun Watson was injured because there was there was two reasons behind it one you just knew that that was the end of any dream we had of winning the Super Bowl. Realistically, I know we we you know had jokes and wanted to dream when Flacco started to started to cook that we still may have a chance, but that was the moment that it died. Um, and then the second part of it was we'd actually seen him play and we'd seen him play well for like a couple of games in a row for the first time in a brown and orange uniform, and you just thought, okay. Um, keep that going um, and we've got a half a chance over the next five, six years. But then we're back now. Um, after that happened, we're back to what is he? In the guessing game. Yeah. So um, that was, you know, it's an easy, easy and obvious answer to give, but that was, that was it for me. You got a different one there, Sean, I do. Yeah. Yeah. My worst moment was week two, Nick Chubb. Um, that was the worst moment for me. Um 
I think without a shadow of a doubt, he's been my favourite Cleveland Browns player for the last however many years since we drafted him. Just love everything about him. I think he's a real, real difference maker. I've always stood on the hill that you pay elite running backs and I will continue to stand on it after this season. I think he's proved his worth by not being on the field. Um, I just think the guy's awesome. Um, great to see him back and smashing the guitar at the final home game and all of that kind of good stuff. Just fingers crossed we can get him back on the field. Um, and obviously, if he's anything like he was, um, never rule the guy out. He'll probably come back more motivated than ever. Um, but yeah, that was that was a real heartbreaker, that, that Monday night football. Um, it was a game we should have won as well. And it just felt like the whole thing just... Just a real signer on that uh, on that night. So yeah, week two, mate. That was the worst, as bad as it got. Yeah, I think number two is probably the most emotional I've ever been over a football game for sure. Um, you know, that was that was one of which hit me personally the hardest. The Deshaun Watson news was probably when I knew that the season was doomed. Uh, Denver was when I. I thought that all hope was lost because we had that Cinderella story also taken away from us when when Dorian Thompson Robinson ends up being carted off with you know with that hit and then we go to PJ Walker and he looks like he couldn't uh, you know that, that that he couldn't throw anything you know and you're there thinking god what are we actually going to do you know for like 2 months um, you know that 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 was that that was kind of it for me. No one mentioning the playoff game, which is interesting, which is also kind of what I wanted to hear as well, uh, as a way of saying to people that if you're listening to this and you're still feeling bad over Saturday, don't. We've had way worse to deal with this season. I promise you, there were some upshoots from it. Um, right. So, 2024, new year, new system by the looks of it. Offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt, running back coach Stump Mitchell, and tight ends coach TJ McCarthy have all gone. Um, Van Pelt has uh, confirmed the fact that he is also leaving after there was a bit of argy-bargy between Josina Anderson and uh, a few others um, as to whether or not Van Pelt was actually leaving or not. A bit of insider warfare, which is always fun when you're dealing with um you know when when you're dealing with this sort of thing um what are your thoughts on the fact that they've gone and what it might mean to the browns i mean they, they've obviously found uh, so, some people say that they've found their scapegoats some people would say that this is potentially you know shone light where you might not be looking for it. Some might say it's been harsh. People have been saying particularly that on Stump it's harsh. Some people have been saying that, you know, this is potentially the way forward to be able to install a Watson-friendly offense. You know, Sean, what, what's what's your take on this? Yeah, I think people think it's harsh on Stump Mitchell because everyone knows the guy's name and everyone knows he's got a cool beard. Outside of that, I don't think anybody <laughs> particularly cares, to be completely honest. This is why I, in my genu- notes I put Ash on first. Yeah, I, I genuinely think that, you know, it's it's one of those things I don't think... Look, me, you and Hawaiian could probably coach Nick Chubb. He'd take as much notice from us as he probably does from whoever the running back coach is. Um, so, for me, it's more about that position group as a whole and I don't think that unit as a whole has performed 
particularly well this year. Jerome Ford had a few nice flashes, but I think, and I don't like doing this and saying this, but you sort of take away the big runs and you look at the overall averages and his averages are massively skewed by a couple of big runs. I think like the first play in the game against the Colts, he ran for like 85 yards or something. And then people say, well, he ran for 800 yards on the season. So well, yeah, that was a tenth of it in one run. Um, you know, so it's, for me, I don't think the group as a whole has offered an awful lot. So I'm not surprised that they've moved on. Similarly with the tight ends, yeah, you can't argue in terms of what David Njoku's done. But, you know, I think Jordan Aikens has been one of the biggest disappointments this year. Um, mm. You know, didn't pay him a ton of money, but paid him, you know, some reasonable money for a second or third tight end, and he's done absolutely nothing. Um, I think the interesting one is Van Pelt. As much as anything because of the fact that his position was also quarterback's coach, not so much the fact that he was OC, because so many people want to just say that Stefanski is de facto OC because he calls the plays, which... Always baffles me because you've got plenty of head coaches, Sean McVay, Andy Reid, name a load of them that call plays. If you're good at it, why wouldn't you do it? Um, but I think the, obviously the fact that Van Pelt was quarterback's coach as well is the, the thing that's interesting for me. You can say that one's a little bit harsh because, as we've said, he's had to get so many of them ready at different times this year. But, you know, cast your mind back 12 months ago, gents, and we were having very similar conversations about the defence and how the staff needed an overhaul. And that's what happened, and results were achieved. Same with special teams, you know. We moved on from Mike Prefer, and obviously you bring in Bubba Ventrone, and there's all these other positional group coaches that, that sort of come into the mix. The hirings will obviously be the important thing in terms of getting those right, but I don't, I don't see how you can really criticise the fact that the Browns are trying to make improvements, and ultimately, I don't think that anybody will be really particularly concerned in a few months' time if the results obviously generated a positive. Um, you know, and ultimately, as I say, I don't think anybody particularly really is going to be too concerned about what the running backs or the tight ends couch is. The OC will get some news, but the positional groups, I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, that's fair. It's definitely something which I was looking at. The, uh, the Stump Mitchell one for me is not the shocker. Um, because like you say, you take Chubb out of it and you think the drop-off is huge. Like, it, should it be that huge and should it continue to be that huge? And then you start looking at other reasons why, what other, you know, secondary running backs are doing in the league, et cetera, et cetera, and you start thinking, well, you know, how many excuses can you throw? Um, I, I feel like Van Pelt has kind of been able to hide behind Joe Woods for a while. Um you, you know, and this is the season where it was a case of well you've got your you've got your stunning defense now, so you're gonna have to make sure you do well enough on the uh, on the offense. And I I think that the one big thing is the uh, the turnovers. Um you, you know like you say quarterbacks coach as well he's had to get quite a lot ready um which is the um you know which which is the mitigating factor but most turnovers in the NFL by a considerable margin lost the playoff game because of two turnovers um obviously other things as well but it was those that killed everything off so you look at that and you start thinking well some of this might actually make sense um you know so there, there is that. A wine. Have you got anything else to add to it? And you might know this better than, better than me for sure. But is there anybody that's sort of out there you'd have your eye on in terms of uh, OC as well? 
No, not particularly, but I think one thing it does show is, again, like he showed it last year, was this, the strength that Kevin Stefanski has obviously showed to make this decision. Last year wasn't an easy decision for him to make in terms of Joe Woods because obviously good friends, all the rest of it. And, you know, you could make excuses for Woods last year in terms of personnel, defensive tackle and all of that. So um, I think um, when you look at it like that, I think um, he's shown good strength of character to, to make the decision that he needed to make. And he needed to make it because they do need a scheme that's more suited to Watson. Um, I think obviously Van Pelt and Stefanski's schematic ideas are probably quite similar, hence why they made the hire in the first place. But now that the scheme has to change a little bit to suit to suit Deshaun Watson, you'd be silly not to make this this hire and get someone with a bit, you know, with fresh eyes, with fresh ideas. Look what it's done for the Ravens this year, for example, when they needed yeah. to, to change their offensive scheme. Um, so again, I think it's just smart, smart coaching from a smart coach, and that's exactly why I think the three of us on this podcast, you know, admire him so much and and want him to get a new contract because he's just humble. He's humble and he's smart, and I think those are two massively underrated characteristics for a coach to have. Yeah, just just yeah. on the. Josh, and I'm not going to claim to know tons of candidates far from it, but I think one thing that is interesting is you look back to Deshaun Watson's best years and two of the people that were around at that time were, just get the names spot on so I don't lead anybody down the garden path. You had Carl Smith, who currently is at the Seahawks as the associate head coach. He was the quarterback coach for Watson in 2019. And you've also got Ooh. Tim Kelly. So he's on the street the, at the moment with, uh, with Pete Carroll. Well, there's... Well, there's obviously going to be a coaching change, so it stands to reason that there may well be an availability. And similarly, Tim Kelly, who's the OC with the Titans at the minute, he was the Ooh. Texans OC from 2019 to 2021. Now, as I say, please don't shoot me if there's somebody that's obvious and a lot better and all the rest of it, but I'm just saying in terms of names that have got the association there, um, they're potentially two to look out for. They, like I say, may very well be available as well. Yeah, I did. I I did some very preliminary digging um, on this. Tim Kelly is actually the first one of which I saw on um, a very rushed, you know, who will be the Browns' next OC um, poster, which I've seen here. I've got Tim Kelly here as one. Um, Eric Bieniemy is also another. I don't think that he would make yet another sideways move, even though um, even though the Commanders are looking to completely change. That would probably be a downwards move for him because he, you know, he's been calling plays in Washington where yeah, probably wouldn't be. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't see it as a as as a fit anyway. I, I I don't see that working for a number of reasons, and that being one of them, like you say, it would be a downgrade. There there is question as to whether or not Stefanski would consider letting, you know, this OC actually call plays, but again, doubt it. Um, you know, so there's a number of different things at play there as well. Like I don't know what yeah. you two, think, but I'm firmly in the camp that he he should be the one calling plays. He's he's shown over a number of seasons that he's very very adept at calling plays. Every coach is going to get a couple wrong every now and again, which is what you know our fan base is up in arms about every time he does get one wrong. But so is every fan base. Yeah, he's shown for the most part that he's he's pretty spot on. So why would he give that up? 
I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I my said, God, we've got Chiefs friends that do the same. Yeah, I, I said previously, I'm not too, I'm not too impressed whether he does or he doesn't. I think he's probably reached a level though of comfort within the organisation, and this is another reason why I think an extension at this stage is the important and the right thing to do because I think whereas in the past he's probably held on to it almost as a case of I trust myself more than anybody else to do this I think he's probably found that level of comfort in the organization that actually if it was a deal breaker and you said yourself a minute ago mate he's humble and all the rest of it I don't think it would be a deal breaker for him so I think if he gets the right person I don't think we've reached the stage where he would have a look at it um, yeah, but like you say, I'm I'm comfortable with him calling plays, but I'm also comfortable if he if he brings somebody in that he feels that it's the right thing to hand it over. He's he's earned my trust in terms of whatever he decides to do. Yeah. Also, just want to uh, bit bit before I say this next line, just want to thank everyone for uh, for bringing in their questions for for this mailbag episode and all the rest of it. But for anyone who has asked us something along the lines of, is Kevin Stefanski the right man to take us forward into this year and beyond? We are firmly a Kevin Stefanski fan page at this point. You know, we stand Kevin Stefanski pretty damn hard. He's a, you know, the reason as to why he's coach of the year material, it goes far beyond the Cinderella story of it all. It more confirms what we've been saying ever since we started this part at the beginning of last season. And even before then, you know, there are so many other things at play. But the one thing that's consistent is that a franchise that kept on getting rid of many of head coaches, I went European football there, apologies, um, you know, that kept getting rid of head coaches. Stefanski has been here now for, is this his full, end of his fourth year, end of his fifth year, yeah. something like that? You know, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen in Cleveland. You know, we, we have an ownership group that is happy to pay the compensation packages and get rid of guys in in efforts of making it work or just getting somebody else that's an improvement. You know, no, this is the guy. This is the guy he's got the faith of his GM, who is also likely to get any. I don't see Andrew Berry going anywhere, um, even though I think that his seat is potentially hotter than Stefanski's right now, um, simply because of making this Watson deal work. Um, I don't see him going anywhere. Um, you know, he. I, I think that he's got a good relationship with the Haslam's. It's not happening. So, not entertaining the question. We are a Stan Fansky podcast. <laughs> And, <laughs> and that's where we go with that. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm also man, think... counting it out just just because of the fact we've only got 15 minutes left on this one. Sorry, Sean, carry on. No, I was just going to say, just to add quickly, I think the way I'd always look at it is we're all entitled to opinions as fans. That's all it is. It's just opinions. And ultimately, you know, if, you, if you've got a totally difference of opinion, then that's absolutely fine. But the one thing I'd say with all of these coaching decisions is if you listen around the league and you listen to the insiders and all the rest of it, I have no doubt in my mind if Kevin Stefanski hit the open market tomorrow, he would take one of the coaching vacancies that is available at the moment. Yeah. And you can't say that I mean, about Arthur Smith. He'd be top of the list. He'd have so many different interviews. Yeah. yeah. And you can't say that about Arthur Smith or Brandon Staley or you know a number of the people that have gone. They're not going to be back anytime soon. I think if Stefanski was available tomorrow, he'd be, as you said, mate, one of the first ones I had. So... Yeah, why on earth you've given up when you've got it already? It's beyond me. Yeah. 
Well, well, here's a question for you. Kevin Stefanski or Nick Sirianni? <laughs> Not that Nick Sirianni's out the door yet, but you know, he could well be. And in a world where we got rid of Stefanski, for example, you know, you're looking for someone who's brought success in a short amount of time, you know, it's not exactly greener on the other side all the time and success comes in different ways and, you know, stories are built different. So always something to keep in mind of. I think that's probably, that's quite an interesting question there because complete opposite characters. And that's what makes me like Stefanski a little bit more than maybe I would if it was a Freddie Kitchen type characters because, or a Nick Sirianni type characters because that mentality of never too high, never too low, I think that's more conducive of long-term success than the ranting, the raving, the catch line, the, you know, taglines and all of that type of stuff, which, you know, you see the the clip of Sirianni losing his head at, at Chiefs fans just before, you know, all of this seemed to go wrong for them. Um, and I think that's why Kevin Stefanski is, you know, obviously my my pick to to take this team forward because of that just that cool calm personality i just think is conducive of long-term success so we ended up answering it in the end <laughs> we uh, I, I tried to do that as a way of just trying to uh to glance past it but we ended up spending about five minutes on that one so uh well done to whoever it was that uh and that's that you got your answer um, let's take a look at some roster built because obviously 2024, we're now looking ahead to who's staying, who's going. Um, now there's quite a lot of names that are on the free agency list for the Browns moving forward. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to read out a handful of names here and you guys tell me yes or no as to whether or not you keep them around, uh, going into next year. So first, and I'll do it in... I think this is in APY order. Yeah, so the most amount of money to the least. So Zadarius Smith, would you keep him around, yes or no? Yeah. I don't, I'd, I can't answer that one as a yes or no because I think it's so dependent on the price. I think you've got to look at the fact that he's going to be 32 when the season rolls around. Okay. Um I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't keep him at what we're paying him currently. Let's put it that way. No, how much of a reduction then? He's on eleven six at the moment. Yeah, I, I think you've got to be looking at sort of you know, seven to eight before I would be comfortable. Okay, right. Everything else gets a lot cheaper. Um, Shelby Harris. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Not bothered. <laughs> Not bothered. I feel like this is just going to be Sean's answer for the entirety of these. Uh, Sione Taki Taki. Yes. I would as well, yeah. I feel like one of you forgets it is an audio medium for, uh, for, for, <laughs> for most of this and just hope that your little head glances will save you. Um, Joe Flacco. Not that I think that we'd be able to afford him. No, I wouldn't. No. I don't think it, I don't think it makes sense for either party. The uh, the hero of the Houston game last week, Harrison Bryant. No. No. Yeah, I feel like it would have to be really cheap. Marquise Goodwin. No. Okay. 
no, I think we need much better um, at that position. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Elliott. Nope. Depending on price, I'd be considering that one. Yeah, and me, just for a case of depth. Um, yeah, I don't think he's on a bit this year as well. Yeah, right. This one's solely for Sean. Corey Bahorquez. Twice, definitely. Twice. Yes. Yeah. Pain to- so pain in that twice. case, he's, cur- he's currently earning 1.6. Would you yeah. give him 3.2 just to keep him around? Give him half of Watson's money. Why the hell? <laughs> half of Watson's money. I love it. <laughs> I, he's I on the field more often. Money. He's on the field more often. <laughs> Um, let's see, Mike Ford. That's an interesting one. I think. I think, it, yeah, I, I think you know, out, I, yeah, I think. I think. Obviously, the headline is we've got so many on there, but so many of these are big special teams contributors, and that unit has been good. And we often forget the fact there is three sides of the ball. So, yeah, I, I would. I would keep Mike Ford. I think he's done reasonable, but he's been pushed into playing time as well so yeah i would keep mike for personally yeah it's a reason that's why i kept him on on the list of the shortened version that i'm going through here because i actually do think that he's uh you, you know i mean he's played 15 percent of snaps um which is more than just special teams as well and i've i've, I've not at the end of the game gone oh god that mike ford yeah. you know so definitely is a bit of a depth piece would you bring back? Oh, no, I, I don't think he's coming back anyway, Kareem Hunt. I, I think that that's the end of his Cleveland adventure, isn't it? I no. wouldn't bring him back. I think, I think as much as the touchdowns were fun this year, you could see that he'd fallen off a cliff, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of other people wouldn't agree with me, but yeah. It's all Stump Mitchell's fault. <laughs> yeah. <Next laughs> Stump Mitchell, away, then he's going to be breaking off 40 yards every week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see any of the big ones in here. Um, Anthony Walker. So I think this is where we'll have a disagreement. We talked about this one a little bit earlier. I'm I'm a definite yes for Anthony Walker. Um, I think he's a really important piece of our defense, personally. Um, and I said towards the end of the season, I thought the Browns' defense was got out a little bit. I don't think it's any coincidence that Walker wasn't there. Um, so you know, personally, for me. Walker would be a big yes, certainly at the kind of price we've been able to get him for the last two years as well. If you can get him on that kind of price, I was going to say, since when were we only paying him 1.2? I'd have him back at 1.2 in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. Come on, Wayne. Come on. Come on, Wayne. Let's hear it. There's a couple. We had the preview earlier, so let's hear it. There's a couple of similar scenarios to Anthony Walker over the last few years that um, I think are probably quite pertinent to bring up. Uh, in this situation and think, you know, you think back to a couple of fan favourites who were who were past their best at contract time, um, Jarvis Landry being one and Kareem Hunt being the other one. Um, now, he's a little bit different to Jarvis Landry in the sense that you've just spoken about how much he earns and that's not a lot of money to be given someone. So I wouldn't mind if he's back um, for, from a leadership standpoint, but I do think playing-wise... I think he started to struggle this year, and you know what Sean said earlier in the chat may have been may have been true. It might that may be a, an injury situation, but you obviously look at his um, his partner in crime with the Colts and has gone through a similar situation this year. Whatever he's going by uh, the minute, Shaquille Leonard 
or whatever whatever he goes by these days. Um, but you look at the two of them and they both had similar dips in terms of athleticism and play. Um, so I'd worry if he was on the field a lot next year. I'll put it that way. I, I don't mind bringing him back at 1 million or whatever vet minimum is, but I'd worry if he was a starter for us next year. That's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and like I said, the the money makes it seem like I'd I'd happily have him back at that price, um, especially if the cap's going up. So yeah, that's uh, that's one for me. Jeff Driscoll. Now let's go past that one. Uh, <laughs> PJ Walker. Would you bring PJ Walker back for love money oh, or? I'm gonna gouge my own eyes out. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I was literally about to say or gouge my eyes out. And I, I like the fact that we're on similar um similar levels there. Uh the only one the only other one here that really um sort of sticks out is Nick Harris. Um 25% of snaps at 26, 902 grand um was the APY. Um as a I'd backup center. Catch a pass. That was yeah, a big bummer that we didn't get to see him catch a pass this year. I thought he was written in the stars that he'd catch a touchdown at some point, and he didn't, so I'd bring him back purely for that reason. It's, <laughs> it's a strange one, really, Nick Harris, isn't it? Because he obviously drafted as hopefully the centre of the future. Then, obviously, he had the injury and they brought Posich in, and he's never obviously had a chance to go back to playing centre. This time he played more as a fullback than anything else. So it is a real strange one in terms of how his career's gone. Well, I think the one thing I would say on a few of these players is, and we've learned to our detriment this year, you can never have enough quality depth. And I think, you know, Nick Harris, Michael Dunn, there's worse sixth, seventh, eighth linemen that you could have, you know, and obviously they're going to have scheme familiarity and all of that type of thing. I think Maurice Hurst on the D line is one that you didn't mention. I'd, I'd be interested in bringing Hurst back as well. Um, thought he had a decent campaign for us. But I think this is the way that the Browns are built now. So a number of people have sort of, you know, commented of well, the um, the Browns got so many, you know, free agents. A lot of these were just brought in on one year deals, and that's the way that the roster is going to continue to be constructed. You'll see a lot of this rotation year in and year out. I think with the way that the you know, the, the sort of big contracts are handled. Um, so yeah, like I say, for me, there's not going to be a huge amount of these guys back, but I think there's probably seven or eight from that twenty six that you'll probably see re-signed. I would have assumed. And speaking of unloading large contracts, here's one question that we did have that is rather left field and made me think about the conversations that we were having during the dead rubbers last December and January. Um, what would it take to consider moving either Nick Chubb or Miles Garrett in order to open up money to spend elsewhere? <clears throat> I'll go first. What would it take for you? I'm gonna uh, prompt the reaction from Sean with my answer. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade Miles Garrett for anything. I don't think. Be well, within reason, um, because I just don't think good franchises trade away their best piece when they're meant to be contending. I think that would be a stupid thing to do. You look at the Raiders, for example, when they traded Khalil Mack. It ended up okay for them in terms of Khalil Mack never really done loads for the bears and and stuff but you know that that event you know who did they draft with that with those picks henry ruggs was in jail and 
I can't remember who the other one was, but I don't think he may have got released after one season as well for some sort of gun violation. Um, so for me, I wouldn't trade away Miles Garrett. I'm going to contradict myself slightly with the next one, but I would trade Nick Chubb for a second. Um, and I would do that purely because that injury is going to be difficult for him to come back from in terms of he's already had a massive, massive knee trauma in the past. Um, so coming back from that's going to be difficult. But I think one thing we, we don't necessarily take into account too often when we're talking about these trades is you'd get the second rounder, but you'd also get something like 12 million or whatever he's paying. So 12 million is, I, I'm guessing you, but I'm, was that roughly what we paid Zadarius Smith this year? I think. Um, so you're talking about potentially trading Nick Chubb away, getting an impact piece in a second rounder, and then we're probably going to get onto it at some point, whether it be today or some someone else, uh, another episode. But we definitely need to improve a wide receiver as well. So for me, I would probably rather spend twelve million on a wide receiver than on a running back. Um, but yeah, that's my opinion. I know Sean's would be completely different, and that's 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 fine as well. But um, I'd be, I, yeah, I'd probably be taking a two for Nick Chubb. Well, let, let's hear it. Yeah, this it's not going to be too dissimilar. I agree entirely in terms of the Miles Garrett thing. I just don't think you trade him for anything whatsoever. Um, completely agree with everything that you said, mate. Um, as you say, we're saying that within reason. And if someone turns around and says you can have the next 10 first-round picks, then you probably do, but no-one's going to do that, are they? Um, so, you know, realistically, I don't even think you entertain that for all the reasons that you said. Look, whether it's Nick Chubb or whether it's anybody else, I think we're, if you're going to be a successful franchise, you're going to get to the situation that you're going to have these awkward conversations around players that you really like. You're not going to be able to keep everybody. If everyone's playing to the level that you want them to play at, you're going to have to make some difficult choices and difficult decisions. And I've already gone on record. I love Nick Chubb, my favourite Barons player, all the rest of it. I completely understand from a positional value perspective and certainly with the the lingering, you know, what's he going to be like coming back from the the injury question lingering? You could understand if that offer was put on the table, why there potentially would be an interesting take in it. I think because of the reasons you've said, I don't think an offer will be forthcoming anyway, because no, I think everybody will just sort of take a look and say, well, yeah, yeah, if we're getting the Nick Chubb that we all know, then yeah, absolutely, but nobody knows. So, But I, I do think that's a wider piece that we're going to have to hopefully get used to, because that's what good franchises have to do. They have to trade away good players. The New England Patriots made a living out of it. You know, that's, that's what you have to do. Um, you know, you have to hit then on your... You know, your, your compensatory draft picks, you know, which are obviously important pieces in terms of your roster building and all the rest of it as well. Um, you know, but Andrew Berry's done a marvellous job of getting quite a lot out of not an awful lot of capital. And you sort of think, you know, we're probably getting to the stage now where we've got enough of the key pieces. We now need to start giving him a bit of capital to try and work with, to try and, you know, make the final few pieces of the jigsaw fit, so to speak. Um, you know, so ultimately, I do think there will be some tough decisions that will be coming up at some point. Um, I don't think they'll happen this off season. Um, and as I say, I certainly think when it comes to Miles Garrett, you know, I just, I just don't think you even entertain it in the slightest. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. I mean, when I saw that, I just thought, let's have a look at Deshaun Watson's trade package yeah. and let's see as to what we could build there for Miles Garrett. So three first round picks, a third round selection, two fourth rounders. I'd also want a switch of QB ones. So that means that they <laughs> take Deshaun Watson's contract on top of that um, in an almost... Um, Brock Osweiler sort of deal, which is almost like gaining an extra first um, from a money perspective. And then also take a look as well, because, yeah, I think that he's probably the most impactful player on the defensive side of the ball, no matter what. There's all sorts of constant... There's so much noise about Garrett or what or Parsons or whatever. No, no, no. Garrett makes you change the way that you play your entire offense. Some teams do well against it. We saw the Texans being able to get the ball off within two seconds. We saw Denver be able to do it quite well. If you're a team that can get the ball off under two seconds, then Garrett's not going to be as much of an issue for you, but you're still going to throw to the other side. you know. And what's worked for Cleveland so well this year has been penetration through the middle. And that's because of the fact that they're constantly having to put more pressure on Garrett. And the reason as to why he's not getting to, to people as quickly is because there's two or three guys on him. You know, and that's still taking players away. If we're talking about in a European football context, if you've got a player that is taking two to three guys out of the game entirely whenever he's touching the ball, you know, you call him the next Messi or whatever. So, you know, there are levels and completely agree on the Nick Chubb. Part of me wouldn't allow my soul to accept just one pick. Um, but I can definitely uh, I can definitely understand it from that. Um, right, there's I'm going to combine these as one question for now because I think that we're going to be talking about it a lot going into Feb um, and onwards just because that's pretty much all we'll be talking about in the spring really. Um what position needs the most overhaul for Cleveland this year? And would you use a free agent from a, a veteran free agent to fill that gap? And who would that be? So, you know, combining a couple of questions from people here, it's because we'll do a much bigger pod on that later on. Uh, and I don't necessarily want to use all the gas there, but is there a position that you're going, this is the major warning and it can be filled with a veteran fill. And I know who that is. Yeah. I think I'm going to sound like a broken record because I've said it every off season since we started the pod, but it's wide receiver. Um, I think it's been clear to see since the running back situation happened that we just haven't got enough there. We haven't got it. We've got a, a lot of meh players, apart from Amari Cooper, Dave Njoku, obviously, if you come to him as a receiver. Elijah Moore's been okay, um, but after that, it's just meh. Um, mm -hmm. And the problem with drafting, I've said on this part a few times this, this year, that this is going to be, in my opinion, the best wide receiver class in as long as I've been watching the NFL. Um but the problem with it is when you're picking 54 or 53, wherever you're picking as your first pick, it's tough. It's going to be tough for yeah. them to get a, a, an instant contributor there. So unless they are doing something like trading Chubb away, trading Newsome away to to try and move up in the draft um, to pick you know, someone who's going to really impact that roster straight away, then you're probably going to have to go to free agency. Um 
the three I picked out, Calvin Ridley, don't think he hits free agency in the end. Um, I think the Jags will keep him, but I think he would be um, a pretty nice addition to what what we need. Interesting in the situation in Jacksonville as to whether or not it's a um, whether or not they also need to go through a bit of a, a talent build to keep Maybe. themselves going. Yeah, maybe but, um, Ridley would be the one I look at. T. Higgins is obviously going to command a lot of a lot of interest and a lot of money, um, depending on what you're going to do long term with Amari Cooper. You're going to need a wide receiver one anyway, um, so T. Higgins will will be a, a player that's in command. But I think someone that the Browns should probably have a look at, and then on a cheaper on a cheaper side, I'd maybe take a, a little look at Darnell Mooney. Uh, he hasn't played well for the last year, or or maybe even two. But as a rookie, he was, he was, pretty he was pretty good, until sort of DJ Moore came in and took that wide receiver one status away from him. I thought he was really good, and he did actually give us a, a tough game a couple of years ago. Um, he was the only good thing on that Bears roster that we spanked at home a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I'd take a look at him as well. What would you say to Tyler Boyd? Uh, I just don't think that's something that we would need at all. I think a slot receiver, they've got a bunch of them at the minute, whether it's, mm. I don't think Elijah Moore's a slot receiver, but that's where they t- seem to want to play him. Um, Tillman played the majority of his snaps in, at slot this year, which is interesting considering his body type. David Bell is very much a slot-only type player. So that's the last thing I think they need uh, this year is like a, Jarvis Landry get open mm. in in zone type slot play. I think that would be the last thing on their wish list when it comes to wide receiver. Yeah, it was it was more just matching potential, um, you know, performance to money ratio. You know, Tyler Boyd's obviously the lower end of the Bengals payback packet. Um, you know, will command a lot less than Higgins, but does come out with quite a lot of production. Um, but no, you're right that we we kind of need someone that can yes. you know run an X route. Yeah, you have to think as well as why Tyler Boyd can can put up those type of numbers, and it's you know majority of it's probably to do with who's playing either side of him. You know, teams have to account for Chase and Higgins, and that leaves him a lot of room in the middle. So, yeah, Sean, what about you, bud? Position and free agent pick. Yeah, I'd agree, to be honest. Yeah, so without repeating everything that's just been said, I think that's the one. And I certainly think it would be free agency that you go down that route. I think the other one I would probably add into the mix that hasn't been mentioned potentially is Michael Pittman um, from the Colts. Um, but for me, I think we definitely need that sort of, yeah, number two, high end two, potentially could be a one, like you said, depending on what happens in terms of a Cooper down the line. So just for the sort of benefit of being different as much as anything else, you can never have enough good pass rushes. And I think that we mentioned Zadaria Smith earlier, and that's why I say I think it's a really tricky one in terms of what they do in terms of Smith, to be honest, because like I say, he's going to demand a fairly big number. It's not the worst time to be in free agency looking for defensive line and defensive end type help. Um, Won't go into them all in great deals of depth, but... Just wanted to keep an eye on potentially, you know, player that I've liked the look of this year, and they've had a pretty good defense. Of their own is is Bryce Huff from the Jets. You know, real good pass rusher, um, probably fit a really aggressive scheme like we tried to run. Um, so I wanted to potentially, you know, take a look at there. Um, but I think overall, like you say, wide receiver would be the one. Um, I think there are some question marks about the offensive line. We've kind of haven't had to talk about it for years because it's been so stable, but. 
you know, let's face it, Batonio not getting any younger, you know, whether Conkey comes back or not, I think we're probably going to say Dewan Jones probably starts at right tackle next year. Um, but then obviously Jed Wills, another player that's probably gone up in value since he's not been there, um, ironically enough, but obviously you've got a decision to make there because he'll be a free agent at the end of next year. Um, so there are probably some question marks that are going to start to come with regards to the offensive line. So, you know, that would be another position group to potentially have a little bit of a focus on. I just think quickly on that, I think Sean's right. That is a position group that needs, you know, revamping sooner rather than later. But I think the one thing that you probably look at with the O-line is how much money they're spending on it. Currently, they have five, literally five players on that offensive line that they are paying veteran money to and considerable yeah. veteran money to as well. So I don't think that would be a position where you'd go into free agency worrying about it. It, it would be more of a draft thing because they need to get yeah. younger. And Agreed. Yeah, and and in fact, that is exactly what I was going to say. So my positional choice was going to be offensive line, but my free agent was going to be a wide receiver because I, I think that, you know, as you say, pick 54, I think that we put that on the best O-lineman that's um, that's at the top of the list at that point if we're not trading up, mainly because of need. You know, I, I attribute a lot of what happened in that second half to the fact that our line was full of fourth and fifth down the list at, at almost every position. You know, it was just a turnstile at that point. If I see James Hudson playing as a starter next season for the Browns, Good lord! Um, I'll, I think I'll be amazed. If, I'll be amazed if he's on the fifty-three next year. I'll be amazed yeah. if he's on the fifty-three. The thing is, he's the kind of guy who I can just see hanging around. People say, I, 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 from what I read, apparently he's a consummate professional in the locker room. You know, he's someone that people actually like. Um, and you know, it's kind of a case of what you expect from your OT four. Um, you know, so. Yeah, I just I just want to see that room start to, you know, put a lot of capital into that O line from a draft perspective, because it always seems to be our problem at the moment, um, especially um, just considering all the problems that we've had this year and the fact that Watson's not going to like pressure. We've seen that he doesn't like pressure anyway, um, and you know, if you're having a shaky line, he's not going to be able to do the stuff that he does well. We've seen that when you actually give him time, a bit of patience, he's able to, to to do a lot more, of which is you know pretty pretty standard procedure in the NFL, I suppose. Um, in terms, yeah. So I was going wide receiver with mine. Uh, I'd, I'd said Tyler Boyd as uh, a potential one. Um, the the wide receiver market's weird next year. You got like Mike Evans, who's obviously the very top in terms of APY and the one of which a lot of people talk about. Um, Michael Thomas is also there. I, I, I barely think anyone's going to kick the tires on him, are they? Uh, D, DJ Chark, that's an interesting one. He's uh, he's on the list too. Uh, Kendrick Bourne might be an interesting one to take a look at, um, but if you can pay him very, very little. Um but there's a few interesting ones as kind of like a two or a three. Uh, not a lot of which I'd want to take on as a one. I think that list is pretty much Evans and, do you know, I don't even know if Higgins could could survive yeah, think, as a one. I think Evans, Ridley, Higgins and, and Pittman would be the ones that I would be comfortable with. But 
I don't expect Pitt. I'd be stunned if Pittman makes it. Oh yeah, I mean the Colts would be dropping. I mean the Colts dropped the bag a lot, but they would be dropping it massively if they got rid of him. You know they've got a a young, cheaper what uh, quarterback, and I they're not paying any wide receivers at the minute either. Obviously they're starting three year all on rookie deals in in Pittman, uh, Pierce, and and Downs. So I'd be stunned if they if they let Pittman hit free agency. Yeah. Right. Uh, last one's a bit of a, a market research from our uh, glorious leader of the uh, British Browns backers um, group, Kelly, who was on the pod last week with Sean. She asks, if you were to travel to the US for a game, a Browns game next year, which would you go to and why? You know, whether or not it's the team, the location or a particular game that you just really want to see. I'll read out the opponents to you. Um, I'm pretty sure this is some sort of market research here. (laughs) This is in a scenario where the kids are not an object and money is not an object not an object so uh, just clear that from your minds before i hear i can't go i have kids um at home next year kansas chargers dallas giants dolphins and then the afc north away afc north denver raiders eagles um commanders whatever they go by by the time that we actually come to play them the jags and the saints are there any there that would take your fancy? There's, this is for market research there's a, purposes. There's a there's a few that that tickle the fancy. I think the only away one that would really make my list would be the Giants purely because of location. I think obviously uh, that one's home. To, I'm afraid, mate. Oh, sorry, I, I mixed that up. Then um, that wouldn't be on my list in that case. Um, so, so in that case, would Philly potentially right. make your list then? Yeah. Um, that would make my list. I think. What did you did you say? Dallas was an away game. Dallas is a home. Or the home ones: oh. Chiefs, Chargers, Dallas, Dallas. Giants, Spins. Um, I'll I'll go. I'll stick with the, the answer that I've got written down here, and it would be Pittsburgh home. Um, I've never been to Cleveland before. Never been to the stadium before. Never witnessed yeah. a, a you know division rival game in the flesh before, and I think. By then, there's a chance that we really... I know we've said it this year and it didn't happen, but I think there's a chance that we really blow the doors off them next year. So being in first energy for a game that they batter the Steelers at home, I think that would be pretty electric atmosphere to be in. So although maybe not the flashiest of picks that you could pick out of all of those games and locations, but that would be my one. Sean, how about you, bud? Well, I think just on a side note, what a rough schedule that is next year. What a oh, yeah, rough it's... schedule that is next year, by the way. That is evil. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. evil. Um, yeah, we'll look at that in, a, in another pod, because good Lord. That's, yeah, we'll that's, look at that when that, it comes around to the schedule. Yeah, there's some pretty good quarterbacks heading over to Cleveland next year. Um, I've always fancied going to New Orleans. Um, well, there's lots... Well, ironically, we were talking just before we hit record, weren't we, mate? You've just obviously come back from the States, and there's lots of places over there I'd like to go. Um, New Orleans is probably the away one that springs out from the list that we've got. Um, on the same as the wine, though, I've never been still to the stadium. It's certainly on the bucket list. Um, I'd love to see Patrick Mahomes play in the flesh. That'd be a good one. Um, but to be fair, mm. I think all of those home games next year really are 
not pretty enticing for one reason or another. Potentially take the Giants yeah. off that list, but the rest of them, whether it be division the rival Giants or just premium charges. Yeah, well, I was gonna say, pre- premium quarterbacks though for all of the rest, aren't they? Mm. Premium quarterbacks. So, yeah. yeah. And Tyrod Taylor, I saw I saw Tyrod Taylor rip the doors <laughs> off the Philadelphia Eagles two weeks ago. Yeah. Seems like the thing to do these days: rip the doors off the Eagles. So yeah. <laughs> Um, by the way, um, to anyone listening who hasn't got, got over to the States for a game, thoroughly recommend it, even though it was the Giants and neither myself nor Lou were uh, were fans of either team. It was quite the experience. There was only probably about 35,000 in MetLife in the end. We had an entire section pretty much to ourselves by the third quarter. It was snowing. Um, the, it was a blowout by that point as well, um, which is uh, which which was mad. So we were just sort of taking it and just thinking, God, this is this is great, and it's very different to a London game as well. Um, I think I'd swing more towards what you're thinking, of wine. You know, I would I'd try and go for like a, a divisional matchup at home would be what I'd like. I, I, you know, I still look forward to going to Cleveland. I was supposed to go. Uh, COVID year, I had a ticket to the Broncos Thursday night football, um, and I ended up having to sell that because I couldn't get there in the end. Um, so still, still waiting for that. I, I had hope that we were going to have the Jags at Wembley, but we've been uh, th- there are rumours that it's definitely not us um, that are floating out in the ether. Um, so we can we can forget about the Wembley waitlist, but maybe that's what they want us to think. Maybe that's what they want us to think. But uh, yeah, Kelly, to answer your question, there's two of us here that would uh, that 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 would absolutely want the rivalry game. There's uh, one of us here that just wants that premium quarterback life. But all of us at home. <laughs> so I hope that answers your question. And to everyone that it has listens this far thank you very much for indulging us as we sort of had a bit of a catharsis corner tonight and just you know talk about all things browns without having to go too much in depth into saturday obviously disappointing but by the same token should not take away from what's been a fantastic season um in any case in terms of plans going forward because obviously we don't have games to talk about on a weekly basis um keep tuned to um our twitter and facebook pages uh for news and for uh streams coming up of our next ones i'm envisioning then this is without talking to sean or a wine beforehand but it will probably be in around the super bowl whether or not that's before or afterwards um, we'll do another one around then. That gives us a few weeks to um, to find something to talk about uh, from a Browns perspective, first and foremost. And we'll also um, we'll run through the um, you know we'll run through our predictions from the start of the season, and see just how close we got to some of these. Um, I can tell you right now, from what I remember, not great. Uh, my end, I think a wine is. Clutching onto one or maybe two things of which he said all the way back in August. I can, um, I, can remember, I can remember my two main predictions now. It was that I was more confident than anything that the Lions were going to win the division, which happened, and that the Bucks were going to win the division as well, which again happened. So I'm in the clear. Right. The Bucks to win the NFC South is not like this. 
fantastic prediction, whoa, by whoa, the way. Whoa, 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 whoa. If we go back and listen to that podcast, I'm pretty sure they were the either the third or fourth favourites to win it. So and yeah, but... by the way, by the way, oh, just to on. put it out there, you two talked me out of a pretty out there accumulator with the Lions and the Bucks to win. So I'm I'm desperate the third one of that out there accumulator was the Jets. Otherwise, you two have cost me a bunch of money this season. <laughs> right. First of all, if you're if you're basing your betting culture on what <laughs> me and Sean think, then don't gamble ever again. <laughs> that that is my gamble responsibly message to everyone on the podcast. Because if you're trusting what we say, then good luck to you. Although I have made more money this year than I've lost. So trust me, maybe. Um, but um, yeah, I look forward to listening back and seeing as to what that was as well, because I'm pretty sure it was the Jets. Um, yeah, that was so. your third. Um, or maybe it was the Browns, actually, um, because okay, we were cool. pretty high on the Browns winning the division as well. Um, but yeah, we'll um, that, that might be our next one, folks, when we uh, start discussing that. Um, also a couple of shout outs, um, for some competition winners, Mark Bartel, you have from pretty much the get go led the Pickham's league and you ended up getting, I think it was 67% of games right over the course of the year. And you are five points away from winning literally the entire thing. So congratulations to you, sir. A Cleveland Browns hat is on its way to you, uh, alongside with a jersey of your choice, courtesy of Full Ten Yards, because you also won that league. Um, and oh, I've forgotten his name. This is terrible. The next, the the next pod will also have a shout out for the fantasy league winner who beat me in the semi final, and I cannot remember for the life of me as to what your damn name is now because my jet lag has reached fever pitch. So, apologies for that. I definitely could have handled that better, couldn't I? Um, but we'll put that in the blooper reel. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed uh, this uh, little distraction from what has been a disappointing week in Brownsdom. And we will speak to you in a few weeks. Take care. 